0: Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host, Gemma. And today I'm going to be talking about chicken biology. And this is actually part 1 of what is going to be a two-part episode series because when I started doing the research, I realized that there was a lot to cover and it would be better to break it into two separate episodes. So for this episode, episode 32, I'm going to be discussing um the skin and feathers, the lymphatic and immune system, the muscle structure, the skeletal structure, and the respiratory system of our beloved chickens. Before I get into the meat of the episode, I'm going to give a couple of uh, homestead updates. So firstly, please excuse me if I sound more frazzled than usual. Um, I usually record during the day, but I had some computer snafus so I'm actually recording in the evening it's a bit different for me I'm very sleepy (laughs) at this time of day and um, like a lot of us in the US this past week with the election has been very stressful and anxiety inducing I definitely gave into some stress eating I think I ate all the chocolate in the house and I drank a little bit more than usual but uh, we're on the other side of it now so whether you're happy disappointed by the results. I hope everyone is just glad that um, it's done with and that we can just move forward. So aside from the anxiety about politics, we've actually had really beautiful weather the past week and it kind of came out of left field. So one minute here in Ohio, it got very, very cold and we even had snow and I was worrying about my bees and getting them through the winter. And then suddenly we had beautiful 60 plus 70 degree days. And as a result, one of the things I did is I made up a big batch of sugar syrup and I did the uh, fall or later year sugar syrup, which is two part sugar to one part water. And I went out to my hives and basically I'd already put their candy boards on and then their quilt boxes. Now I call it a quilt box but really what I do is I put an empty super on top of the inner cover and I fill it with the um Wood chips that I actually use in my chicken coops. And I do this because it provides additional insulation above the hive and it also absorbs moisture. And something that I did last winter is I could peek in the top there, and if I saw any like wet uh, wood chips building up or any like condensation, I could remove the wood chips and put fresh ones in. So, and it did work out pretty well. Now I didn't want to have to take the whole quilt board off because it's a little bit of a pain in the butt for me and I usually end up losing some of the wood chips and it becomes a big mess. So what I did is I just sort of nested the feeder jars that I use down into the wood chips with a little gap at the bottom so that it could go to the inner cover and the bees could come up and feed. And I had the chance to check on how everyone was getting on with the sugar syrup and it looks like the bees are using it but not as quickly as I thought which possibly means that they've been finding better stuff in nature I'm not really sure what's still blooming but clearly something because everyone has been very busy and I've also seen some pollen pans now, I will say as well, I haven't done full inspections because I try not to open them up too much once I've already prepped them for the winter. I want them to have that propolis seal as much as possible. But there was one nucleus colony that I really was concerned about, and I'm pleased to say that it's looking better, and I happened to notice when I was in there that they're actually producing brood. And My last chance to go into the hives before um, the snow came and then the good weather, I had noticed that brood production was very slowly picking up in some hives. And I am still wondering if this really bad dearth that we had and then not so great of a full flow is part of why they waited so late in the year to really start Rearing those winter bees, but it looks like it's happening now. So I'm very hopeful that this means that the hives that I was concerned about might have a better chance going into winter. I also, because of the lovely weather, finally had the chance to get together with one of the people who I have agreed to mentor. And I'm still a little uncomfortable saying that I'm a mentor because I think that offers. I don't know maybe more experience than I have to provide but I'm doing my best and um, basically it's just an opportunity for me to talk bees with people and get to look at other people's hives so I love it and I finally got a chance to go around to someone's hive and um, there wasn't a huge amount we could do because even with the nice weather it's, um, it's it's really too late for a mic check because Um, I'm basically out of treatments that would be appropriate for this time of year and she didn't have any and I think because the the nice weather isn't guaranteed to stick around I didn't really want to be messing with them too much but I was very excited to get into this hive because this is the woman who has actually had the hive for about three years but hasn't really done anything with it so literally um, her brother who keeps bees helped her set it up said that he would show her how to manage it and it didn't really happen and as a result what she's been doing is she's just been putting honey supers on at the right time of year taking the honey supers off to extract putting them back on to let them build up winter honey and then leaving them to it and they actually survived for two years this way until this past um, winter where we had what I call second winter where we got through the the main part of winter The bees woke up, everything looked good and then we had 10 days of a very hard freeze and that's what killed one of my hives and that's actually what killed her hive at the time. So this past spring she got a package from her brother who installed it for her and those are the bees that she's been working with. But obviously they had an advantage because they went into a hive where all the combs been built out and used previously and there were still some stores left over that uh, the previous colony had before they perished so I was excited to get in there because I'm like these frames haven't been taken apart I mean you know I'm talking about the brood frames not the honey frames they've never been inspected like what am I going to see in there and the first thing is that some of the equipment is failing so one of the frames actually fell apart when I tried to remove it and because it was full of honey um, I left it there but it is going to have to be dealt with in the spring but basically I think we're going to need some new equipment here and the hive um is kind of similar to what I've been seeing in my own apiaries like they obviously had a very hard time with the dearth the full flow wasn't as uh bountiful as we had hoped so they had pretty good honey in there but not as quite as much as I'd like to see um they did have some brood it was a really good pattern and um it's a good population. So I am optimistic that actually things are set up quite well for this hive. And we discussed things like insulating. I do think she needs to feed it. Right now um, she has one deep box that's a mix of brood, pollen and honey and then a honey super that is mostly full. So she's on eight frame equipment and it's six frames that are Um, mostly full so actually I would say four full frames two half full frames and then two empty frames so I recommend feeding putting on a candy board giving them that extra boost giving them um, insulation Uh, her husband actually built something really nifty that goes over the hive and hopefully they'll get through to spring however this colony in the spring is going to be re-queened. So the first time I visited this hive, I didn't get to do an inspection because it was during the dearth and the bees were very, very aggressive. This is actually where I got stung multiple times on the arm and I swelled up so badly that I couldn't really do much um, for a week. And I finally realized that I need to, needed to get proper heavy duty beekeeping gloves because the swelling that I get on my arms just slows me down so much and it's it's not worth it and it's been um it's just been such a a lifesaver I can do so much more and the gloves are a lot more dexterous than I thought they would be but anyway um when I went in again they were aggressive again so I was fully suited she was wearing um a jacket and they stunk her on her legs basically like the minute I cracked open that brood box they came out and they stunk her um and for the rest of the inspection they actually weren't super aggressive there was a lot of like kind of pinging off my veil and you know bopping into me and trying to tell me off but none of them were actually like really trying to get in the veil however this isn't a fun hive to work and she's had a rough enough year you know this is her first year where she really wants to be involved with the bees and she's doing everything she can to learn and she wants to get in there and she hasn't been able to because we've had this really weird year and it has increased aggression and so she's just not having any fun she's not enjoying it i mean maybe she is but she's definitely not loving the bees um she's you know she's doing all her honey extraction and everything and she really wants to learn more but the bees aren't fun So we'd had a discussion and I basically said that it was my recommendation that in the spring we re-queen because the genetics are coming from that queen. And yes, she came from a package and it's possible that she got some drones in there that were aggressive when she mated. It's possible that she comes from a lineage that's a little aggressive. It's even possible that that's not the original queen. Um, For all we know, because she hasn't been in there, they could have killed that queen that came with the package and raised their own. The point is, we don't know. It's not a fun hive. I want her to experience what it's like to work with a hive that is gentle and easygoing and just a pleasure to work. So I suggested that in the spring, assuming any of my hives make it, she come to my apiary and experience what it's like to work a gentle hive. And then we'll get her a new queen, whether it's from a local queen breeder or whether I um, do nucleus colonies again somehow we're going to get her a new queen from a gentle line and I really just want her to experience the sheer joy of working just a gentle peaceful hive so that's my hive news I kind of blathered on a little longer than I intended there but I have a little bit more news in terms of the homestead and that's um With the nice weather, you know, I've been very involved in, I always think about it as like putting everything to bed. So clearing out vegetable beds and like mulching them, uh, cutting down any mint that's still left, drying it for later use, um, constantly raking leaves, uh, mulching the leaves down with the mower, all that kind of stuff that happens at fall that we need to get to. But my really big news is that um I did go ahead I got that rooster that I mentioned in the last episode and if you follow me on Instagram you've seen pictures of him he's very handsome uh he is a jersey giant and he's not full-sized yet so he's already very large and he's gonna get even bigger and he's great I just absolutely love him um You can just hear him crowing from the house. It's not really loud like I was worried it would be. My neighbour loves him. She'll actually come to the fence sometimes just to watch him roam around. She loves the sounds. It's not waking her up. It's not causing any issues. That is something I worried about so much. And I always joked previously that I didn't want a rooster because I wanted my neighbours to like me. And it turns out that uh, my neighbours are fine with it. So that's all good. And he's just great. I just love him so much. He's integrated so well. Um he so I put him in the big coop and after his sort of introduction um they all lived together totally fine and then after about a week of that I decided that now is the time with this beautiful weather to let them free roam or free range. And I've never done this with my girls before so all of my hens in that coop have come from a ginormous flock that all free roamed but I've never done it because I had an issue with stray dogs and hawks and cats and all this kind of stuff but now that I have this big old rooster um, he can look after them so I've been letting them out and it's so fun to watch them and I just feel like a real homesteader because I think this is what I've always envisioned was just having these chickens on the property like wandering around and rooting through things and now I have it and so I've been spending a lot of time just sitting out there watching them I like to take my tea out and I just sit in a camper chair and I watch them roam around. And they've kind of surprised me in how cautious they've been. I thought that um, they would immediately run off and be all over the place. But they've actually just been very slowly expanding their range away from the coop. And the rooster takes great care of them. Um, In fact, today he bumped me a little bit because um, I'm still treating Meatbutt for her bumblefoot infection and obviously she hates being caught it's very stressful the other chickens get stressed out I try and minimize the drama but they're chickens so it's almost impossible to do so and today when I finally caught her he started like bumping his chest up against my legs and then retreating to try and tell me off and um so I sort of was like no buddy it's fine um and shoot him away but it's it's very adorable he'll also try and herd me away from the girls so uh if I get close to a girl he'll get between me and one and he'll try and sort of herd me in the other direction without having to touch me because he's a little flighty with me like he's not he's not clearly used to people but he's not aggressive and also he doesn't have any spurs right now so um I'm not worried about him being dangerous with me. Hopefully it will never come to that. Um, Jersey giants are actually known for being gentle, even the roosters, which was part of why I thought it was a good idea to get him. And he did come into animal control with the hen who I had first. I had her for a week and then I went back and got him. And when I let them free roam, he went to the special needs coop where I had that hen. And he went bananas when he saw her it was so adorable he's like stomping his little feet and doing his little mating dance and he's like cooing at her and purring and chirruping and she responds in kind and so I had to let her join him I couldn't keep her apart now the trouble was I was trying to get her out of the special needs coop and the run and she's very afraid of people so she's you know flapping away from me and causing a stink and then that's upsetting the rooster and Agatha and Squeak are all like what's happening and it was just high drama and at one point the rooster came into the special needs run and I was like okay well maybe he'll get the hen and bring her out but what happened was Squeak my little rescue factory farm cut beak hen has decided she's now a rooster and so she decided to fight him like a rooster so she jumps up with her feet out like she's trying to disembowel him with spurs that she doesn't have and she's like chirruping and well chirruping is the wrong word she's like squawking and trying to grab his comb and she's just being so aggressive and he responded in kind and I had to break them apart and like it was just ridiculous so I did tell Squeak sweetheart you are tiny, and you have no beak, and you are not a boy. You're the only chicken right now who's actually giving me an egg every day. I'm like, please don't fight with the rooster. But she has decided that she is the queen now. And no one, not even a man is going to tell her how to live her little chickeny life. So long story short, I did get the little jersey giant hen out she reunited with the rooster and because he accepted her he made sure the other hens accepted her and now she's part of the big flock and it's working beautifully because one role that a rooster takes is that he doesn't let the hens fight so when the girls kind of go at each other a little bit he'll be right there to separate them and tell them off which is awesome so I just have Agatha and Squeak in the special needs coop at the moment and I'm a little worried about them not being able to keep each other warm when it gets very cold in winter but I'm going to just have to see how things go because you know they never fully accepted the new hen in the week that she was with them and they're very bonded together and they're doing really really well together and they seem very happy so I'm just going to risk it and see what happens. I also, um, I mentioned Butts bumblefoot. I had said in my last episode that um, I thought it was improving. And in some ways it was, like a lot of the swelling had gone down. Um, I got rid of the scab. I got rid of a lot of the abscess, but I was having trouble getting the core. And so sure enough, um, uh, more of that abscess material started building up. And so the other day I noticed that, because um, there, were, there were basically two holes And they had joined in the middle of the foot. So it was like a tunnel going right through her foot, one hole right in the middle and then one coming out the side. And I flushed it and cleared it and the side hole had healed over. Well, when I was looking at it the other day, I realized that the abscess material was building back up in that like sinus or tunnel. And so I soaked it a lot and I dug around in there and I got out a lot of abscess. Um, And I'm really, really hoping I got the core. I feel like I did, but it did start bleeding, so it got a little harder to see. I absolutely loaded up that whole sinus with uh, antibiotic lotion or ointment, and then I've been wrapping the foot. And um, when I went to look at it today, it did look better. It's obviously a little painful. And... the the tricky part is I'm at this part where her foot's been wrapped for a while and as a result it's kind of got when I unwrap it it has kind of a cheesy smell like I don't know like really bad athlete's foot or something and I think it's because um it's not it's been kept a little moist because of the ointment and I'm not happy about that but you know the foot itself is looking like the flesh looks better it doesn't look infected um it didn't bleed today I'm I'm really cautiously optimistic that I finally got that core and that it's on the mend if I don't see an improvement in the next week I might take her to my vet to have him like I don't know maybe he can do a better job of flushing it out or maybe she needs a course of antibiotics or something because I just feel like we're so close but I don't want to let it linger on long enough that it becomes a really bad problem because as I mentioned before bumblefoot is caused by a staff infection so you need to be on top of it so Talking about various chicken ailments, in my last episode, I did talk about bumblefoot and I also talked about reproductive disorders in chickens. And while I was Doing the research on reproductive disorders and reproductive system, I realized how little I really knew about chicken biology, and that what I was reading was absolutely fascinating. And because I am all about the chickens at this time of year, um, I found my rescue hen in the fall. I often seem to acquire new hens at this time of year. I love being out there with them. It just seems to fit to carry on this theme of chickens. So Today we're going to be discussing chicken biology part one and before I get into it um, I would just like to cite my sources. So as always my primary source for this was the Chicken Health Handbook by Gail Damaro, which I mention almost all the time. It's probably the most used book I have when it comes to my chickens and then as a secondary source of information I used Raising Chickens for Dummies by Kimberly Willis and Robert T. Ludlow which is a really really good book. I am a big fa- fan, excuse me, of the Four Dummies books in general and this one doesn't disappoint. So I want to start off by talking about the immune system and the function of the immune system is to defend the body against disease-causing microorganisms and pathogens And there are three primary lines of defense. One, feathers, skin and mucous membranes, which hinder the entrance of pathogens into the body. Number two, cells and chemicals, which are circulated in the bloodstream. And number three, enhanced immunity, which is also known as immunological memory, which is basically where the initial immune response establishes increased future responses. So let's talk about feathers. A chicken's body weight is actually made up, about 6 to 8% of it is made up of just the feathers alone. And the feathers are important because they protect the skin from injury and sunburn, they conserve body heat, and they do provide some degree of waterproofing. Chickens lose and replace feathers, which we call molting, yearly and this happens over a period of weeks usually about 14 to 16 weeks so the bird is never completely featherless and molting starts usually in late summer and runs through fall and it can even sometimes run right into early winter. Now feathers grow from follicles arranged in 10 symmetrical tracks located on the head, neck, shoulders, wings, breast, back, abdomen, rump, thighs and legs. The follicles are linked by tiny muscles that raise and lower the feathers as needed such as when a bird puffs up in cold weather. These feather tracks called paterillae, are separated by featherless areas which are called apteria and these featherless areas, apteria, may contain some down. Now down are the feathers closest to the body that lack the barbs and the strong central shaft that the other feathers have which is actually why down feathers are so soft and fluffy and wonderful to like dig your little fingers into. Now, these featherless areas are important because they help cool the chicken in hot temperatures by exposing the skin to circulating air. So basically, a chicken might lift their feathers slightly so that any breeze is actually now going against their skin to help them cool. Looking at the anatomy of feathers, we see that feathers are made of keratin, which is the same thing that our fingernails and our hair are made of. Each feather has a hard central shaft, and at the bottom of each mature shaft, which is hollow, is a pointy bit called the quill. Now, immature feathers, which we sometimes call pin feathers or blood feathers, have a vein in the shaft, and when they grow in, they grow covered in a thin papery coating that eventually wears off or is groomed away. And on that note, if you follow my Instagram, you might have seen that lately. I've actually been helping agatha my ancient chicken remove this papery coating because i noticed that she wasn't doing it herself and as a chicken with a number of health issues i think she just doesn't have the dexterity anymore so i've been gently rubbing off this papery coating once a day i hold her on my lap i give her her pain meds and then i gently rub this coating away so that her feathers can fully expand and it's great because I just like spending time with her and it also actually stimulates her to then groom herself so she'll then start grooming kind of the front of her body and it's just uh, I think it's a good experience for her. Now going back to feathers when these immature feathers reach their full length the vein in the shaft will slowly dry up and so this is why a full mature feather if you break it is not going to bleed unlike pin feathers or blood feathers when they're coming in and they're still covered in that papery coating you do need to handle your chickens with care because if you accidentally snap one they can bleed and they can actually bleed a surprising amount to the point where it's dangerous. Now on this feather on both sides of the shaft are rows of barbs and on those barbs are rows of barbules. Now, barbules have tiny hooks along their edges that connect them to their neighbours, which is what creates a smooth feather. When chickens groom or preen themselves, they are actually smoothing the feather barbs to help them lock back together. And interestingly, chickens also have a preen gland, which is a pea-sized uropygial gland that secretes oil, which conditions and waterproofs the feathers. The colour of feathers comes from pigments in the feathers and or from the way keratin is layered. So colours that we know come from pigments include black, brown, red, blue, grays and yellow. And from keratin layering is where we get iridescence. So if you have a black chicken like I do, so like on my Jersey Giants, and the sunlight hits the black feather and we see this beautiful green sometimes you even see like a purpley iridescence. that's from the way that the keratin has been layered and how it's reflecting back the sun or the light so moving on to skin and mucosa now the skin is the largest organ in the body and in chickens it makes up 80 percent 80, of their weight chicken skin is thinner and much more delicate than a mammal's would be and therefore much more delicate than our own. The colour of skin varies on breed, diet, age, egg production rate and health. For instance a young chicken with very little body fat might have skin that appears bluish in colour and colour of feathers does not affect the colour of the skin. Now, most breeds have yellow or white skin, but some have all black like silky chickens on the skin live beneficial microbes and they keep harmful microbes away via a process called competitive exclusion. Competitive exclusion is basically when there are two species competing for the same limited resources and as a result they cannot coexist at constant population values which means that basically one is going to fail. So in the case of these beneficial microbes they outcompete the negative ones and that's part of the way that chickens are protected. However, if the skin is damaged, then these beneficial microbes can actually enter the body and then cause disease. Mucosa, which is the term for mucous membranes, line the openings of the body and they also contain beneficial microorganisms or microflora, which also use competitive exclusion. These microbes are assisted in their defence role by moving fluids, mucus and tears, which use a flushing action to help remove pathogens, as well as enzymes that combat invading microorganisms. So now let's move on to the lymphatic system, although some of what I'm going to discuss is also related to the immune system as the two work in tandem. So uninjured skin and mucosa are a strong defense against pathogens but certain factors such as nutritional deficiency, disease and injury can allow pathogens to penetrate the body and this is when the lymphatic system comes into play. Lymph is a watery fluid derived from the blood that accumulates in spaces between the body's tissue cells And all body fluids are lubricated by lymph, so this is an essential part of the body. Lymph also contains lymphocytes, which are specialised white blood cells that neutralise or destroy invading microbes. Lymphocytes recognise invaders as antigens, which are any protein that differs from those naturally occurring within the body. When an antigen is detected, lymphocytes produce antibodies or immunoglobulins, which attach to the antigen and break down its defences. Humans have a system of organised lymph nodes, but chickens don't. Instead, chickens have something called lymphoid organs. Now, lymphoid is any body tissue that produces lymphocytes and antibodies, lymphoid tissue occurs primarily in the spleen, thymus and cloacal bursa but it's also found in bone marrow, the intestines, the respiratory system and the head. So let's talk about the spleen. This is a dark red round organ, it's usually about three quarter inches in diameter so it's quite small and it's made up of red pulp and white pulp the red pulp destroys worn out or old red blood cells, the white pulp forms white blood cells also known as leukocytes and both of these pulps produce antibodies. What's interesting about the spleen is that it's not considered a vital organ. If it ceases to function there are other organs that will take over its job. Next up is the thymus. Now this is made up of several paired, flattened, pale pink lobes of irregular shape and they're strung along the jugular vein on both sides of the neck for almost the entire length of the neck. The number of pairs tends to be between five to eight. The thymus actually shrinks with age and the thymus and the cloacal bursa are the chicken's primary lymphoid organs. Both produce functional immune cells that are collected and stored by secondary lymphoid organs. There are small lymphocytes that are produced in the thymus and they are called T cells and T cells defend on a cellular level and this is known as cell-mediated immunity. B cells are lymphocytes produced in the cloacal bursa that produce antibodies that defend body fluid which is known as non-cellular or humoral immunity. Both B and T cells begin as stem cells produced during incubation in the embryos yolk sac, liver and bone marrow. The circulatory system then delivers these cells to the thymus and the cloaca bursa where they mature into the B and T cells. So what is the cloacal bursa? It's a pale, grape-shaped organ above the cloaca, and it's largely responsible for controlling immunity and activating antibody production in chicks. The inside of the cloacal bursa consists of two dozen parallel folds of about 10,000 follicles that provide an ideal environment for the development of antibodies. In young birds, the cloacal bursa takes in fluids, which is known as cloacal drinking, and this is a form of inoculation against environmental pathogens. The cloacal bursa reaches maximum size between 6 to 12 weeks of age and then begins to shrink. By the time the bird is sexually mature, at 4 to 5 months of age, it's no longer functioning. There are certain diseases and nutritional deficiencies that can cause premature atrophy of the bursa and this basically results in a permanently compromised immune system which is not what we want to see in our sweet little chicks. This next section is called GALT, Bolt, and (laughs) Holt. but bear with me it's not gibberish. So GALT stands for gut associated lymphoid tissue. And these are clusters of lymphoid nodules along the digestive tract. The majority are found in parts of the small intestine, the base of the seeker, and in the diverticulum. And the function of them is to protect against intestinal diseases. The goat accumulates as chick- as chicks mature, and the maximum amount is acquired at 16 weeks. BALT stands for bronchial associated lymphoid tissue and it's located in the trachea and the bronchi and its function is to protect against inhaled pathogens. Again this develops as the chick grows and will be well developed by eight weeks of age. HALT stands for head associated lymphoid tissue and includes nasal glands, tear glands, mucous membranes of the eyes and a relatively large harderian gland which is found behind each eyeball. The function as you've probably guessed is to protect the eyes, the nasal cavity and the upper airways. And you've noticed by now that a lot of this immune system work is happening at a very young age so this is a critical period in a chick's development where the lymphoid system is functioning to produce antibodies at such a young age which is important for later on in the chicken's life so now we're going to move on to memory cells So when T cells and B cells are exposed to an antigen, they develop antibodies specific to target that antigen, as well as memory cells that store the information about that specific antigen. What this means is that if the chicken is exposed to that antigen again, the memory cells produce antibodies that attack it. Over time, the immune system develops a wide range of these antigen-specific memory cells. So once various lymphoid organs atrophy, as I previously discussed, antigen-specific memory cells then become the primary immune response. If a chicken is exposed to pathogens that were not experienced in its youth, the immune system doesn't have memory cells to combat it and therefore there is a lowered or even no immune defence. And this is part of why quarantine is so important. You could have two flocks of chickens that have been raised in completely different environments and if you put them together, there's a pretty good chance that some of the pathogens that the one flock experienced in their youth, were not experienced by the other flock. And when you put them together, the risk is they're going to make each other sick. Moving on to the muscular system. Now, muscles is, (laughs) I just have it written in my note, muscles equals meat, because this is the part of a chicken that we consume. And muscles themselves are made up of bundles of fibrous tissue with the ability to contract. There are three kinds of muscle that we're going to be discussing. Or I should say, there's three kinds of muscle to be aware of within your chicken. One is cardiac, which controls the movement of the heart. The second is smooth muscle, which is controlled by the autonomic or the involuntary nervous system. And the third is skeletal, which is voluntary movement. And this is actually the bulk of what we eat when we consume chickens and other birds. And these fibres that make up the muscles, different kinds of fibres, affect the colouring of the muscles. So there are some muscles that are dark, which is dark meat, and there's some that's light, which is white meat. Now dark meat is heavily used muscles like the thighs and the legs, and light meat is less active muscles like the breast and the wings. So muscles alternate contracting and relaxing using a system of levers created by the chicken's joints and the skeletal system and that's what allows movement and if you look at bones in any animal you'll see that there are ridges and bumps and these are often where the muscles attach and that leads us into the skeletal system. So what are the functions of the skeletal system? To provide a framework for muscles allowing movement to support the body, to protect internal organs, to store and release calcium and to aid in respiration. So looking at the skeletal system, let's look at the different kind of bone structure. And the first bone that we're going to be talking about, which is very interesting in my opinion, <laughs> is the medullary bone. So some bones of the skeleton contain marrow and this medullary bone, which is a fluctuating substance. So it lies inside the structural bone as a lining and extends as many tiny needle like projections into the marrow. Now, what I find so fascinating about this type of bone is that it's unique to female birds. And fun fact, since it's unique to females, it is one way that scientists can actually sex dinosaur fossils. So going back to chickens, which again, just tiny little dinosaurs, which you'll know if you've ever seen them, you know, grab hold of a mouse that got into their coop. As the pullet, so the young female chicken, reaches sexual maturity and estrogen starts being produced, roughly two weeks before she lays her first egg, her system switches from developing structural bone to packing some of these structural bones with the medullary bone. From then on, as long as she continues to lay eggs, specialized cells in her bones reabsorb medullary bone and to some extent structural bone to provide calcium for eggshells. Laying hens that produce an egg a day just cannot absorb enough calcium from diet alone to create that sturdy eggshell. Instead she uses a considerable amount of skeletal calcium gradually losing structural bone over time. And this is characteristic of osteoporosis, which is a condition where the bones become fragile and fracture more easily. Genetics, environment and nutrition all influence bone loss, but bone loss is just something that's unavoidable in egg-laying birds. A diet deficient in calcium will obviously lead to faster skeletal calcium depletion, and you'll see this as a hen who lays fewer and fewer eggs and then eventually stops much sooner in her life than you would tend to expect. An otherwise healthy hen that does stop laying will reduce estrogen production and resume formation of structural bone, which actually restores strength back to her skeletal structure. Now, here's a not so fun fact. Highly productive hens kept in cages, like how most laying hens or as I call them, production birds are kept, can develop something called cage fatigue. And this is basically where they become paralysed by just living in a cage. And sadly, this results in death because the paralysis stops them from being able to reach food and water. What's really bizarre about this is it's not really clear why some chickens get it and others don't and even more weird is that cages with solid bottoms seem to reverse this condition as well as just simply removing the hen from the cage for a few days. So this is another really great reason not to buy grocery store eggs but to find either locals in your community with backyard chickens or to really really look into where those eggs are sourced from and if they're coming from ethical farming operations. So basically medullary bone is a very special kind of bone inside structural bones that allows the chicken to um, absorb enough calcium to produce eggshells. And that's why it's unique to females. Next up we have pneumatic bones and these are found in both sexes and are also very interesting, but for different reasons pneumatic bones contain diverticular which is sometimes called blind tubes and these extend from the air sacs these bones are hollow which is what reduces bird's weight for flight and what's really essential about pneumatic bones is that they increase the flow of oxygen for metabolism they also serve as a cooling system now pneumatic comes from the latin word pneumaticus which means belonging to the air And these bones are connected directly to the respiratory system, which is part of why I find them so fascinating. If a pneumatic bone becomes fractured, a chicken will have difficulty breathing and can eventually lead to an air sac infection, which is very, very serious. And I will later in this chapter, we're going to be talking exactly about what air sacs are. So hold that thought. So what are some skeletal issues that you might see in your flock? Well the most common one is leg weakness and it's particularly common in large breeds. And the best way to avoid leg weakness really is to keep young birds off slippery surfaces, feed a balanced diet, refrain from breeding birds with lameness or deformity and making sure that you don't um superfeed or overfeed your flock. You're also likely occasionally to see just lameness so limping being unwilling to put weight on a leg and this is not always skeletal in origin it can be neurological in nature or it could be due to muscle or nerve damage. There's also conditions like inflammation of the joints or synovial membrane. The synovial membrane is thin membrane lining joint cavities and tendon sheaths, and it secretes synovia, which is a fluid resembling thin egg whites that lubricates all the joints. Knowing this, you might be able to guess that synovitis is inflammation of the synovial membrane. And what it causes is excess synovia to be secreted, which is what makes the joint warm and swollen, which in turn is quite painful this is often seen in the hock or the ankle joint of chickens there is non-infectious and infectious synovitis so if you're not sure which it is probably best to go take that chicken to the vet there's also a condition called bursitis and this is inflammation of the bursa and it's caused by pressure friction or injury of the membrane surrounding the joint And the bursa refers to small fluid filled sacs that cushion pressure points at a joint. There's also a specific inflammation called keel bursitis, sometimes called a breast blister. And this is caused by pressure against the keel and the keel is the breastbone of a chicken. Now we move to the respiratory system. And this includes the nasal cavity, sinuses, the larynx, the trachea or windpipe, the syrinx, which is the vocal organ, bronchi, lungs and air sacs. And the functions of the respiratory system is to circulate oxygen throughout the body, to remove carbon dioxide, to aid in thermoregulation and to allow the chicken to vocalise. Now, a chicken's voice box is not like our own it has no vocal cords and instead consists of the syrinx which is at the bottom of the windpipe where the trachea splits down into the two bronchi the larynx in chickens functions purely to prevent food from entering the windpipe chicken vocalizations require cooperative effort of the tracheal muscles the syrinx air sacs and respiratory muscles some muscles contract to force air from the air sacs into the syrinx and other muscles exert tension to alter the shape of the syrinx to create different sounds. As a result of where it's positioned the syrinx cannot be removed to prevent crowing in roosters as it would basically kill your bird plus I don't approve of anything that alters an animal for your convenience. I think it would be very cruel to try and remove a syrinx in a rooster. Rooster's going to crow. Now, air sacs, I mentioned them before. They are connected to pneumatic bones and they are very, very important in a bird. So all birds have an extensive system of air sacs, which are thin walled bubble-like pockets that circulate fresh air into various parts of the body. This system extends around the internal organs, filling almost all of the empty cavity spaces and then into the pneumatic bones. Air sacs are organised into two sets, one toward the front of the body, known as the anterior or cranial air sacs, and one toward the rear, the posterior or caudal air sacs. Soon after a chick hatches, the anterior air sacs expand into the vertebrae of the neck. As the chick continues to grow, the posterior air air sacs expand into the vertebra toward the pelvis. By maturity, the air sacs have spread throughout the vertebra. There are nine air sacs in total, all but one of which are paired. So in the forward or anterior set of air sacs, we have the single cervical air sac, which is in the neck. Above the esophagus, and then we have the paired interclavicular air sac, which is by the shoulders between the wishbones. And then for the posterior set, we have a paired thoracic air sac, which is behind the lungs, and then the pair of ad- abdominal air sacs, which surround the intestines. And the largest pair of all of them is the abdominal. Now, air sacs fill and release air based on the size of the body cavity, which is in turn controlled by muscle movement. So when resting, for instance, the abdominal muscles are what are controlling the breathing in your chicken, not the diaphragm, such as we would have. When active, greater muscle movement causes the body cavity to expand and contract, and that increases the airflow into the air sacs. If a chicken still needs more oxygen, it will flap its wings to generate greater airflow. This expands the air sacs further, which then draws more air into the pneumatic bones. Fun fact, this is why roosters often flap their wings before crowing, because they need that big breath to release such a big, loud sound. Air sacs are flexible. But chicken lungs are rigid. They are solidly attached between the ribs and so they are unable to expand as our own lungs do. So instead of the lungs expanding and retracting, the air sacs do this instead. Now when a chicken breathes, incoming air goes directly from the trachea to the posterior air sacs, then passes through the lungs into the anterior air sacs. Outgoing air goes directly from forward air sacs, passes through the lungs before going out the rear sacs and this basically just means that the air passes through the lungs in the same direction and as a result the bird obtains oxygen on both the in and the out breath this steady flow enables sufficient oxygen to maintain the bird's incredibly high metabolism and this is a very interesting system there is um a whole section of uh biology that's that basically discusses why this system is so unique and i was going to include some of it but honestly it's a little over my own head and i don't really think it's essential to know the summary is basically that birds have this unique system that allows them to maintain a set level of oxygen at a very very steady rate which in turn supports their high metabolism it is very very nifty cool So knowing that lungs are rigid and that it's these air sacs that are doing the moving to allow air to flow through the chicken's respiratory system, we can see why you should never squeeze your poor little chickens because they need the expansion of the body cavity to allow breathing. So if you squeeze them too tightly, you're preventing this movement and you're basically suffocating them. And this is especially an issue in baby chicks because they're just very, very delicate. And this is why you should always supervise young children when they're handling chicks or anyone who doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, It's always best to kind of gently cup a chick. You can gently place one hand over the top of the chick and uh, one hand beneath, but don't ever like grab them (laughs) and squeeze. What's interesting is that knowing this about the... um, way that a chicken breathes means that if you see a chicken that seems to be struggling to breathe you can lift its wings in attempt to help more air go into the body or even let it drop down a very short distance which will trigger reflexive flapping that generates airflow needed. This also works if a bird appears to have stopped breathing Um, you can do the same actions and hopefully you know expanding that body cavity by lifting the wings will encourage airflow to come back into your chicken and restart them breathing the next section talks about respiratory defensive so the trachea is lined with short tiny hair-like structures called cilia and cilia vibrate or wave to whisk pathogens and dust particles back up toward the beak toward excuse me to keep them from getting into the respiratory system excessive dust can overwhelm the cilia and cause them to become ineffective the trachea produces mucus to help the cilia trap inhaled pathogens and this mucus is also then pushed up towards the beak too much ammonia in a coop can cause thicker mucus production and this will inhibit the movement of the cilia which can lead to mucus building up The lungs host scavenger cells that seek and destroy pathogens and dust before they spread to the air sacs. Mucus can occasionally collect at the bottom of the trachea, which clogs up the bronchi, blocking the air from entering the lungs and the air sacs and eventually causing suffocation. And all of this is to basically say that too much dust, too much ammonia in an environment is going to cause issues for these cilia which is your chicken's primary or first line of defense against pathogens so a clean environment a clean coop is absolutely vitally important to the health of your chickens so a couple of things that you might see in your chickens as uh, a respiratory illness or injury one is air sacculitis which is inflammation of the air sacs and it's caused by a bacterial infection It usually affects younger chickens and it's especially seen in broilers or meat birds. Signs include failure to eat, rapid weight loss, coughing, strained breathing and a very high death rate amongst the flock. Air sacs have very few blood vessels and most antimicrobial medicines are delivered through the bloodstream so sadly this condition is very hard to effectively treat. Something else that you might see, although hopefully you never will, is a ruptured air sac and this can occur at any age. Now usual causes of this are if you're very roughly handling a chicken, if chickens are fighting, if they crash land or fall, all these things can rupture an air sac. It's actually considered a form of air sacculitis, um, but ruptured air sacs allow air to leak into the chicken's body. And in turn, this causes skin to puff up and give the birds an inflated appearance. So for instance, if an air sac up near the uh, chicken's neck is ruptured, they might look like they have swelling, like there's a small balloon in their throat and because of this kind of puffed up appearance it gives the skin this is sometimes known as wind puff which is a very sweet name for a very serious disorder but the technical term for this is subcutaneous emphysema and subcutaneous just means under the skin now the good news is often the rupture will heal on its own and things like isolating the chicken uh can help because it can reduce the stress and therefore aid your chicken in healing if the air pocket is uh, causing pain or an inability to move it can be deflated manually by using a sterile needle to puncture it and remove the air but this isn't a cure Um, you're likely going to need to repeat it until the rupture heals sadly if the rupture is very bad the chicken is likely to pass away although death from this is more often seen in chicks who are just more delicate in general Now, respiratory disease is actually the most common cause of death in chickens. And the causes of this can be nutritional, parasitic, bacterial, fungal, viral, or environmental. Most of the serious ones are viral though and sadly this means that it spreads really easily, particularly in moist air. So if your chickens are all roosting together, you have a sick bird in there that's coughing, sneezing, sneezing or just breathing, sadly it's transmitting the virus and it's very likely that others in the flock are going to become sick. Very occasionally respiratory distress is sometimes a reaction to vaccination particularly Newcastle disease and infectious bronchitis which is good to know if you vaccinate for those conditions. Now respiratory diseases often occur in combination so if your flock appears to be ill and you cure it Of one disease it's possible that they'll show symptoms of a second and this is why it can be very important to take samples to your vet to be tested to know exactly what you're dealing with generally speaking the best defense against respiratory diseases is developing a flock's genetic resistance via good breeding practices and then providing a healthy well-ventilated living environment also as i mentioned before quarantine new additions and quarantine is important in this area because respiratory diseases have signs and symptoms such as labored breathing sniffling gasping coughing sneezing wheezing runny nose and foamy or watery eyes all of which are pretty easy to notice so if you have a new bird you have it isolated away from the flock in quarantine and you notice any of those symptoms, you can treat that bird, make sure it's recovered before introducing it to your flock and then hopefully you've prevented potentially the death of a number of your chickens. And that's kind of what I have for this section, part one of chicken biology. But because that last bit about respiratory disease being the main cause of death is a little sad I wanted to end on just some vital statistics about chickens um, something a bit more neutral so the average lifespan of a chicken is five to eight years with the maximum lifespan being listed as 18 to 22 years the maximum productive life is 12 to 15 years The body temperature on average of an adult chicken is 103 degrees Fahrenheit or 39.4 degrees Celsius. An adult with a deep body will average a temperature of 107 degrees Fahrenheit or 41.7 Celsius. And a chick will have a body temperature on average of 106.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 41.5 Celsius. The respiration rate at rest of a cock or rooster is 12 to 21 breaths per minute and a hen it's 31 to 37. The heart rate on average of a large breed adult chicken is 250 beats per minute. For a small breed adult it's 350 beats per minute and for a chick it's 300 beats per minute. And what I thought was very interesting is that chicken heart rates and temperatures are so variable that they're just not considered a reliable diagnostic tool. And when I read that, I realised that whenever I'm in my chicken health handbook looking up symptoms or diseases, I never ever see things about take your chicken's heart rate, take your chicken's temperature, and this is why. So for those of us used to mammals, That's why we don't see it because it's so variable that it doesn't really tell us anything that we need to know when trying to diagnose. And that's it. So the next episode, Chicken Biology Part 2, is going to cover the digestive system, the nervous system, the circulatory system and the male reproductive system because my previous episode covered the female reproductive system. So I hope that this was interesting for you guys, that maybe it has enlightened you about your flock. Um, I have, I don't know, I actually almost feel ashamed that I didn't do this research earlier because I read everything about honeybees and I clearly have not read enough about my beloved chickens. So this has been really interesting for me. I also realized how much I love learning about the immune system it was always my favorite section in biology Um, so yeah this has been a lot of fun for me I'm enjoying carrying on the research I hope you guys are enjoying it as well as always check me out on my various social medias I can be found under the name homestead hens and honey or just homestead hens on facebook twitter tumblr and instagram but instagram is where i hang out the most um, i just love that community over there i love being able to show pictures of my chickens i have some really cute pictures of my new rooster over there so go check it out um, if you want to reach out to me drop a line on the website which will be linked in the episode description uh, leave a comment over on Podbean, hit me up on Instagram or email me at homesteadhensandhoney, or one word, at gmail.com. So I really appreciate you guys listening, sticking with me. I hope you're all doing okay. I know there's been a recent uptick in the COVID cases here in the US, particularly here in Ohio. So keep wearing your mask, keep washing your hands, you know, keep being as safe as you can. Um, You know, I really hope that you and yours are getting through this as best that you can. It's uh, 2020 is almost over though, right? We are almost at Christmas, which is uh, I'm not I'm not ready, you guys. I don't know where this year has gone. But anyway, on to on to bigger and better things, hopefully. So visit me again in two weeks. I will have the part two episode of Chicken Biology. And until then, hug your hens And then wash your hands. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you guys. Take care. Bye-bye.